So we are actually one-third of our way through 21 days of prayer and fasting. We launched this last Sunday where we're taking some time, just three weeks as individuals and as a church to, to seek God for spiritual breakthrough, whether we need that in our own lives. We certainly need it in our church. We need it in our community. So we want to just take some concentrated time to seek God for that, for spiritual breakthrough. We have some things to help you with that. We have a prayer and fasting guide that uh, we made available last week. You can download it. Actually, if you look in your program on this sheet, it's got information about that. If you go to converge slash prayer, you can download it. Or you can email me, let me know, if, or you can put on your connection card that you'd like me to email it to you, and I can do that. Absolutely. Uh, also, I've been posting on Facebook, on our Facebook group, or our Facebook page every day, uh, just a little excerpt from that guide with some, some uh, question to think about and write about, and also posting some things in our group. If you're in our, uh, our Grand City Station prayer and whatever it's called group, I don't know, whatever it's called, if, if you're not in there, look, search for it, send me a request, and, and we'll get you in. Um, also, a big part of this prayer and fasting that we're doing happens on Sunday nights. And so we have this thing called Recharge that we started really in December, uh, but it's a time for us to come together on Sunday nights for worship and prayer together. And so that's happening here Sunday nights at 6 o'clock. The mall closes at 6, so you can get in the front door, but you won't be able to get out the front door. So you want to come in the back door, which is uh, number 340, says Deb Shop. We're in between Orange Theory and Men's Warehouse. So, but it's just an hour. Last week we had, I think, nine adults here plus some kids. And so it was great. We'd love to see 29 here on Sunday night just to spend time together praying. Last Sunday we kicked it off by talking about fasting, about the biblical uh, discipline of fasting. And I think it's an often misunderstood, um, misunderstood spiritual discipline that we have as, as Christians. We struggle with that. And so, so I talked about that, hopefully answered some of those difficult or some of those confusing things like what is fasting, why do we fast, how do you do it, and when do you do it. And so if you missed last week, uh, be sure you catch that on our YouTube channel. So I don't think it's on our website yet, but you can catch it on our YouTube channel. Just search Grand City Station, subscribe to it, and check that out. You can check out past messages as well. So today we're talking about another, I think, really important topic when it comes to prayer, and really something I think that is also really neglected amongst Christians. And it's just this idea of being able to listen to the voice of God, to be able to hear God's voice. In his book, Whisper, by Mark Batterson, anybody read that book? Okay. So, I actually read it this week, and it wasn't as good as I thought it would be. But he tells this, this, tells this cool story in here. So he tells this story. It says, more than a half century ago, Dr. Alfred Tomatis, I don't know if that's, hopefully that's how you say his name, was confronted with the most serious case of his 50-year career as an otolaryngologist. Otolaryngologist. A renowned opera singer had mysteriously lost his ability to hit certain notes, even though those notes were well within his vocal range. He had been to other ear, nose, and throat specialists, all of whom thought it was a vocal problem. Dr. Tomatis thought otherwise. Using a sonometer, Dr. Tomatis discovered that even an average opera singer produces 140 decibel sound waves at a meter's distance. That's slightly louder than a military jet taking off from an aircraft carrier. 
And the sound is even louder inside one's skull. That discovery led to a diagnosis. The opera singer had been deafened by the sound of his own voice. Selective muteness was caused by selective deafness. If you can't hear a note, you can't sing that note. In Dr. Tomatis' words, the voice can only reproduce what the ear can hear. And so the French Academy of Medicine dubbed that the Tomatis effect. We, I think myself included, many of us struggle and kind of stumble through life. Maybe struggling with the same issues over and over and over and over and over again. Stumbling, making the same mistakes. Stumbling, looking for direction and for guidance. And, and we often say things that we don't mean to say. And we often do things that we don't mean to do or we never thought we'd do. We go places where we're like, how did I end up here? I'm not even sure. We make decisions that we're not confident are the right ones. And we struggle with, with relational issues, with emotional issues, behavioral issues, and, and spiritual issues day after day after day after day. And we wonder, why do I still struggle with this? Why do I keep going down this road over and over and over and over again? And I would like to present to you that maybe the reason why is because we're misdiagnosing the problem. Maybe the problem isn't so much that we have these relational issues or these behavioral issues or these emotional issues. Maybe it's actually a hearing problem. Maybe like that opera singer, our ears have actually been deafened to the voice of God so that we can't hear what he's saying to us. And so we struggle for guidance. We struggle for direction. We struggle with these, these issues because we can't hear God's voice. Sort of a spiritual tomatus effect if you will. But this inability to hear God's voice causes us to lose our voice and causes us to lose our way. And I think that learning how to hear the voice of God is perhaps the single most important spiritual skill or discipline or whatever you want to call it that a follower of Jesus can learn. Here's why. Well, first of all, God speaks to us in a variety of ways. He speaks to us through, through his word, through scripture, the Bible. It's the primary way he speaks to us. He speaks to us through his people. He speaks to us through his creation. He can speak to us through music or through circumstances or, or events, any number of ways. But I'm not really focusing on any of those ways today. What I want to focus on today is what scripture calls the still, small voice or gentle whisper of God. That's what I want to focus on today. And some of you, maybe you've never even thought of it, you never even knew that you could hear God's voice. And maybe you, you've never heard God's voice, you didn't even know it was possible. But this gentle whisper or still small voice, it can be an actual audible voice. It could be what I would say is um, internal prompting, could be a God idea. You know what's better than a good idea? A God idea. A God idea is way better. I'd rather have one God idea than a thousand good ideas. We sometimes call these impressions. Now, if you've ever heard maybe somebody say, oh, the Lord impressed upon me this. And that's what they're saying is, is that God has, I feel like God has spoken to me and this is what he's saying. And God does this. He gives us these impressions because he has a special message that he wants to either give to you or for you to give to somebody else. One of my favorite instances of God speaking in Scripture is found in the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. 
Now, the context is a little bit here that, that Eli is a, is a priest in the temple, and Samuel's like his temple assistant. He's just a, a young lad at this point, probably around 12, 13 years old or something. And so he actually stays at the temple with the priest Eli. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, this is what it says. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. So the lamp of God, is, they had this lamp that, that would burn until, until a certain point in the night it would go out, and that would know that it was time to go to bed. So the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel! Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and he ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Oh, I didn't call you, okay? Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never heard a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed, and the Lord came, and he called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Now you'll have to read the rest of 1 Samuel chapter 3 to find out what God says to him. But the thing is, is that God is still speaking today like he did to Samuel. The question is, are you listening are you listening for his voice? Or maybe, like Samuel, you don't recognize his voice. You're not sure what, what the voice of God sounds like, so you can't pick it out. You're not sure. Yet the ability to discern God's voice is one of the most critical spiritual skills, as I said, that a believer can develop. Because if we can learn to hear God's voice, then we can easily discern God's truth from Satan's lies. We can discern God's direction in a sea of confusion. We can perceive God's will in any circumstance. We can see and seize divine opportunities and divine appointments. We can realize God-sized dreams and God-sized visions. We can understand what we should be praying for and how we should be praying. You can see why being able to hear the voice of God is so critical to the life of a Christian. Outside of my wedding day and the birth and adoption of my, my children, the most important moments in my life are the times that I have heard God's voice. The first time I can remember was when I was 14 and God clearly said to me, I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. And that's when I surrendered my life to Christ. 
Later on in life, I was 21 years old and I was working at a camp and I heard God say one day, go right now to this place. And I went there to this place and it it probably saved this child's life because I went there right at that moment. It's a good story. He'll have to tell you more about it later. When I was 27, I was struggling to find God's direction and discern God's will for my life. And God clearly said to me, don't worry about what you want to do for me. Focus on who I want you to be. Again, several years later, I was was 33, and I was trying to discern what the next step was in my life and for our family and what God would have us do. And I had all these opportunities before me, and God picked the one that was on the bottom rung, and he said, I want you to move to Thief River and help start this church, Epiphany Station. And so I went. I knew it was God's voice because it was not, certainly not something that I wanted to do. Then four and a half years ago, God told me to trust him in moving my family here to Grand Forks and starting this church. Just this past summer, I shared that God clearly spoke to me and said, you have fallen out of love with me. You don't love me the way that you used to. Each one of those occurrences is what I call a bookmark in my story because it is something significant is God had a specific message for me and made a really big impact on me and it it was involved it caused a significant kind of life-changing or life-altering decision to take place or direction to go yet for all of these times that I've clearly heard God's voice I am confident that he has spoken to me probably dozens probably hundreds of times that I have not heard or I have not recognized or simply I have chosen not to obey. So wouldn't it be wonderful? Like maybe you heard me describe those times I've heard God's voice and you're like, are you a crazy person? What do you mean you hear God's voice? Like you hear voices talking? That's like crazy people, right? But if you could hear the voice of God, if you could hear God speaking directly to you, wouldn't that be awesome? And it is, and you can. The problem, of course, is this. God's voice isn't the only voice out there, right? God's voice isn't the only voice out there. If you're a parent, you have children constantly clamoring for your attention, complaining and whining and asking, why, 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 why? You have bosses that are demanding deadlines, friends that are giving you unsolicited relationship advice, engines that are, that are revving, music that is blaring, TVs droning on and on, social media shouting, Satan lying, our own thoughts pounding us relentlessly. All of these voices shouting louder and louder and louder, each one saying, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And so the question is, is God's voice the loudest voice in your life? Is God's voice the loudest voice in your life? And I would venture to say for the vast majority of us, the answer is a clear, definitive no. It's not even close. Perhaps it's even at the bottom of of that list of, of voices that I mentioned. So how with all of these voices competing for our attention, pounding our eardrums. How do we discern God's voice amidst all of that noise in our lives? That's what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about is how do you hear God's voice?
And the answer, I think, is found at least partly in kind of an obscure little book towards the end of the Old Testament called Habakkuk. It's just fun to say, Habakkuk. Everybody want to say it? Habakkuk. So Habakkuk was a prophet of the Lord. He lived about 600 years before Christ. Now, a prophet, really their sole job is to hear the voice of God and then to say, to relay what God is saying to other people. That's what a prophet does. So, so a prophet depends on being able to hear God's voice clearly. At this particular point, Habakkuk, if you read Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk is crying out to God because he doesn't understand all the violence and injustice in the world. Sound relevant? Yeah? So in this particular case, he was really disturbed by how God was letting his own people be persecuted. He was desperate for an answer from the Lord. And so this is what, it's, what it says, Habakkuk chapter 2. We're just going to read two verses here. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Habakkuk says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. In these two verses, I think there are, are five things that, that we need to do in order to hear God's voice. The first thing he says is to withdraw to a quiet place. The first thing we need to do is to withdraw to a quiet place. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower. The first thing he does is he withdraws from the busyness and the noise of life and he goes up into his watchtower all by himself where he can hear the voice of God. If you ever try to pick out a whisper from across a noisy, crowded room, it's impossible, right? And it's impossible to hear the voice of God amidst all of the other voices that are clamoring in our lives. So we need to withdraw. We need to get away and get alone with God so we can hear his voice. Of those times that I mentioned, those bookmarks in my life where I've heard God's voice, all but one of them, I was alone when I heard God's voice. The vast majority of them, I've been alone, where I've heard God speaking to me. You need to get alone. Jesus even got alone. Luke tells us in Luke 5.16 that Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. I think if Jesus needed to get alone for prayer, I think that's a good indicator that, that we need to get alone to be able to hear God's voice. And maybe you hear that and you're like, oh, that would be great. But I have these kids, I have this job, I have all these obligations. And so I understand that. And so maybe you can't get away for an extended period of time. Maybe you can't withdraw to the wilderness even though you'd like to. So let me give you a practical pro tip that I think almost everybody in this room, if you have a driver's license and you have a car, can employ. Turn off the radio. Turn off the radio in your car. If you drive alone in your car, turn off the radio, turn off the iPod, whatever it is that, that you usually listen to, and just be quiet. You will have your own private sanctuary with God. Turn off the radio. The second thing that we need to do is to wait upon the Lord. 
wait upon the Lord. Habakkuk says, there I will wait. There I will wait. We, can, we live in this day when we can watch anything we want and listen to anything we want whenever we want, right? We expect instant results. We want something and we want it now. I'll just go online and I'll get it. I'll download that song. I'll watch that movie. I'll order that product, whatever it is. And we expect God to operate the same way. Okay, God, I want it right now. I want it here. Let's go. And so here's what's probably going to happen. If you turn off the radio in your car and you're going to spend five minutes in your car driving to Target and then you're going to get out and say, well, that was a complete waste of time. I didn't hear God's voice. I didn't hear anything. God doesn't speak on demand. God speaks what he wants, when he wants. So you need to wait. And we are incredibly impatient. David says in Psalm 62, 5, let all that I am wait quietly before God for my hope is in him. Let all that I am wait quietly before God. You will never hear God speak if you don't stop talking. Uh, pastor and author Rick Warren, who's like the master of these catchy phrases, says this. He says, says, inner calm gives us the intercom to God. Inner calm gives us the intercom to God. So you need to withdraw and wait. The third thing we need to do is to read God's word. Read God's word. Habakkuk says, to see what the Lord says. Wait upon the Lord to see what the Lord says. Isn't it interesting that Habakkuk says, I want to see what he says? Why doesn't he say, I want to hear what he says? Well, I think it's because he's saying, I want to see what God says, because God's will is revealed in God's word. The primary way that God speaks to us is through his word. It's already here. If you want to know what God has to say about your marriage, about your family, about your job, about your relationships, about your purpose, it's all right here in his word. In fact, most of the questions that you have, he's already answered. It's just that you haven't looked to see what the Lord says. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. See, here's the problem. We don't want to be corrected. We only want to know when we're right, not when we're wrong. And we, the problem is we don't actually maybe want to hear God's voice. It's, it's, not that we, or it's not that we don't want to hear God's voice. It's that we don't like what he's saying to us. We don't like that he's saying, hey, you need to get that out of your life. Or you need to start doing this. Mark Batterson in that book, Whisper, says, it's often what we want to hear the least that we need to hear the most, right? It's like those things like, oh, God, why? And, and a lot of times we just don't want to get alone and wait and read God's word because we don't 
want the groaner. We don't want to go, oh, man, I was hoping you wouldn't say that. I was hoping you wouldn't point that out. But interestingly enough, our English word obey comes from the Latin word obadire, which literally means to listen. Obey means to listen. Now, if you are a parent or perhaps in any relationship, you know that there's a difference between hearing and listening, right? How many times have I said to my kids, you're hearing my words, but you're not listening. You're hearing my words, but you're not listening, right? What am I saying? You hear what I said, but it doesn't matter because you're not actually obeying. You're not actually doing what I said to do. To listen means to obey. You can hear what someone says without listening to them. We want to not just hear God's word. We want to listen to God's word and obey what it says. Fourth thing we need to do is to write down what God says. Write down what God says. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets. Write my answer plainly on tablets. You know why I can remember all those times that God spoke to me that I shared with you earlier? Because I wrote them down. I wrote every single one of them down when God spoke to me, including when I was 14. I wrote that down that God spoke to me. Sometimes we call this journaling when you write it down. And maybe for some of you, you're like, oh, journaling. I don't want to journal. But that's, that's just what it means is you journal because so you can write out your thoughts, write out your prayers, and you can write out what God is saying to you. Writing down what God says, I think, does three things for us. First thing it does, it helps us to repeat. Helps us to repeat what God says. In premarital counseling, we do this exercise that every guy hates. It's called reflective listening. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've even done it in your, your job team building exercise. It's where somebody says something and then you say, what I hear you saying is, and you feel like a complete idiot, but the point of it is good, right? Because the point is you want to make sure that you get the message correctly. So you repeat what they say. You want to make sure that you get God's message correctly. So you write it down, you reflect it, you repeat it, and it also helps you believe it when you write it down. Second reason to write down what he says is to have a record of it. We have records of everything that's important. All the things that we want to remember in our lives, we have records of. We have, you have, might have a record called a deed that shows that you own your house. For whatever, you have a record that, that shows that you're, you're married or shows that you had this, this kid. Where'd this kid come from? I don't know, I have this record that shows that <laughs> did. So we create records to prove that something happened so that we can remember it. And here's why it's really important to have a record of what God says. is because almost instantaneously, Satan will try to distort what God said to you. You'll maybe hear God say something to you in the day and you'll lay down in bed at night and Satan will say the same thing that he said to Eve in the garden. The very first thing that Satan's recorded as saying, did God really say? Did God really say you should do that? Did God really say you should go there? He probably meant this. 
He didn't actually say that. And he'll immediately start distorting and twisting what you heard God say. So you write it down so you have a record of it. And third, so that you can remember it. So repeat, record, remember. Remember it so you can go back to it again and again and again and again. And I'll be completely honest with you. I think that many times the fact that I have written, that I have a written record of what God says to me has saved me. I, pro- I don't know if I would be in ministry anymore. I might not even be a Christian anymore. If I didn't have a record that says, oh yeah, that's what God says to me. That's right. I remember. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why I'm here. Because God said this to me clearly. And it's as true now as it was then. But if I didn't have that record, honestly, I wouldn't remember. So you write it down so that you can remember it. And then fifth, you share it with others. The Lord says, write it down so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. What God tells you may not be for you, or it may not be just for you, but for you to tell others. And there's lots of reasons why God might have you tell somebody something, maybe to encourage them or edify them or rebuke them or or warn them, whatever the reason is. God could give you a message to give to somebody else. But what I want to talk about here is specifically what the Lord says here in Habakkuk 2.2. Notice particularly what he says. So that write it down so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. The correct message to others. Whenever we think that God says something, we should share it with mature believers to see if it is correct. And maybe some of you, you have baggage like I do from being in a place where everybody thinks they hear God's voice and they all do this crazy stuff and share this crazy stuff. You share it with mature believers to see if it is correct. Because with all of the voices out there, how do you know if the impression you are getting is from God, from your own thoughts, from Satan, or from a bad burrito that you had last night? I mean, I don't trust myself that much to know that, oh yeah, that's clearly hearing God here, of course. Like, it's not my thoughts. So what you need to do is you need to test to see if it is truly from God. Like in 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, he says, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. So test everything, what is, test everything that is said, chew up the meat, spit out the bones. So how do we test whether something is from God? On the back of your outline there, I actually have written down six things. I'm going to go through just briefly. But I wrote them down because I know that you'll want to go back to this again and again. So how do we test if something is from God or not? Number one, is it consistent with all of Scripture? Is it consistent with all of Scripture? That's the first litmus test. Does it line up with God's Word? Not the verse that says, go to Bethel and sin, or something like that. I heard a story about someone that said, oh yeah, God told me that I could have this affair. You know, it says so right in His Word. And he's like, the pastor like, what do you, 
Where does it say that? He said, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? That's not what we're talking about. It's got to be all of Scripture. It's got to line up with all of Scripture. Rick Warren says, if it's true, it's not new. Meaning, God's not going to give you some extra special revelation that is not found in Scripture. It's got to line up with all of Scripture. That's how you test to know if it is from God. Second question to ask is, will it make me more like Christ? Will it make me more like Christ? Will it help me grow in righteousness? Will it help me grow in my faith? Will it produce godly fruit in my life? Will it, will it cause me to be more like Christ? Third question. This is the one that I think a lot of people really don't like. Does my church family confirm it? Does my church family confirm it? You'll always find someone that will tell you what you want to hear. But your church family will tell you what you need to hear. At least they should. They should tell you what you need to hear. A great instance of this, uh, several years ago, I have a, a friend mentor who is in a very charismatic church. And um, I remember going to the service one time. And they have this service where people just come up and they, you know, do these things where they say God is saying this and so they share this. And so one time this lady comes up and she shares this, this word from the Lord. And when she gets done, Pastor Jim says, that's a great word, Sherry, but it was not from the Lord. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then he turned to the congregation and he explained how it didn't line up with Scripture. And I just thought, wow, you can do that? Like, but your church family should do that for you. Your church family should tell you what you need to hear instead of what you want to hear. The fourth question to ask is, is it consistent with how God has shaped me? Is it consistent with how God has shaped me? God has created you. He has shaped you. He has given you your personality, your gifts, your skills, your abilities, your experiences for a specific reason. He has a purpose for you. He has shaped you for that purpose. And God will definitely ask you to do something that will stretch you, but he's not going to ask you to do something that contradicts the purpose for which he created you. There's a great example of that. Several years ago, I had a guy come to me and, and tell me they felt like God was telling him to quit his job and become a life coach. And, I, and this guy had a huge, huge family to support. So I said, okay, are you coaching anybody now? No. Have you ever coached anybody? No. Have you ever started anything from scratch? Well, I baked some bread, made some bread. I'm like... This is not consistent with how God has shaped you. He was also a very shy, very quiet guy. He wasn't going to be able to go out and, and get new clients and everything. So I told him, I said, I don't think this is consistent with how God has shaped you. Well, he went and did it anyway, and within two months, he severely regretted it. Because it wasn't consistent with how God had shaped him. Fifth question. Is it convicting rather than condemning? Is it convicting rather than condemning? God convicts, Satan condemns. What do I mean by that? 
God will definitely speak to you and say, you have this sin in your life. You need to confess it and repent of it. And so God convicts us so that we go, oh man, I, I realize what a sinner I am. I realize that I'm wrong in this area and I need to confess that to God and repent of that. But what Satan does is Satan condemns and he says, oh, you screwed up again. You are such an idiot. You are completely worthless. God will never forgive you for that. That's condemning. God will never condemn you. And so if you hear a voice condemning you, telling you're worthless, that's from Satan. God convicts you, doesn't condemn you. Then the last question is, do I sense God's peace about it? Do I sense God's peace about it? Most of the times, God's going to say something to you or ask you to do something. It's going to be hard. And the only way you're going to be able to do it is with him. And so, if you know it's going to be hard, you know it's going to be difficult, yet you have peace about it because you feel like God is with you and he's going to be with you and help you and give you strength in that, you have peace about it. So hopefully you can keep those six things on the, the back of your program. Use these, go to these again and again and again when you think like God is telling you something. So here's an assignment I want to give you then for this week. Hopefully for the rest of your life. Let's try it for a week first, okay? Here's the assignment. Turn off the noise. Doesn't work that way, right? Turn off the noise that you can control. The radio in your car. Listening to, to music at the gym or at work or whatever you're doing. Turn it off. Turn it off this week and instead pray what Samuel prayed. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And I look forward to hearing what God says to you. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would speak to us, that you would speak to each person here in this room. Lord, that you would speak to them with that still, small voice, that they would know that it is you, that amidst all the noise and the clamor of life, they would be able to pick out your voice and listen to your voice and not just hear, but obey. So Lord God, we just ask together that you would speak. Speak to us this week or speak to us in your time. Amen.